Before we get stuck into today's episode, we are available on 10 different podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, releasing a new show every Monday morning. We are the only relationship podcast on the planet that interviews the most qualified relationship coaches, marriage counsellors, authors on love, and psychologists around the world. Alongside the amazing coaches I get to interview, collectively we bring to life a foolproof relationship operation manual for you, the listener, that endeavours to help every woman in the world thrive in their romantic connections. If you've had enough of one toxic connection after another, then hit the subscribe button or the plus button to be the first to know when a new episode has been released. Good morning and maybe good evening to you, depending on when you're listening here. My name's Amanda. (laughs) Welcome to the Empowered Women's Podcast. I'm joined today by a really interesting lady. Her name is Carrington Smith. And she is multiple things, really. She's a single mum, attorney, a business owner, and executive search professional. So although she might have been born with a silver spoon in her mouth, as she says, life has given her a hard kick up the arse. So she survived (laughs) multiple issues such as sexual assault, two divorces, piles of debt, abuse, religious mind games within the family, the death of loved ones and the loss of close friends, which I'm sure a lot of us can actually relate to. And I did read her best-selling debut memoir called Blooming recently, which I connected to on many, many levels. So we're going to unpack that. But Carrington combines wit and wisdom to share her journey through the shit with a positive attitude and a shift of mindset into life bursting with joy, opportunity and purpose. So Carrington, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. No problem. No problem. So, yeah, I, I had to listen to the book and I've got to ask you straight away, right, how did you allow your father to stay in your life as long as you did? <laughs> Seriously, you know, it's hard. I still get pressure from my siblings about, yeah. you know, me keeping that boundary. Mm. And um, it, it, I mean, two things happen. I mean, one, when he choked my son that was like a line in the sand I mean the mama bear came out on me and I was like you know you've done enough to me but you are not fucking with my kids I mean that's yeah um but it was around that time shortly after that that my mother passed away Mm. and I'd already said you know no contact with my kids but when my mom passed away I realized the only reason that he was in my life was I could still have contact with my mother because she'd Mm. been in assisted living for a long time. And after she was gone, it occurred to me that he, he was so toxic that every time I interacted with him, Mm. I I literally would get off the phone and do something that was self-harming. My friends and, you know, who I was dating or married to at the time would point this out to me. Like Mm. your dad calls and you go pick your face. Your dad calls you overeat. Your dad calls Mm. like there's something destructive you do. And there was such a tight correlation. I realized, you know, this guy's toxic and Mm. he, he, what he does is he like tries to get on your good side. And so you kind of warm up to him and then he kind of sneaks on in there and he starts messing with your head and twisting scripture. And you just go down this like toxic uh, hole. And he really, yeah, glad that that's behind me, but 
Do you have any contact with your dad at all? No. Nothing. I, nothing. I hear that. about him through my siblings. Yeah. But that's yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, obviously no one knows what I'm talking about, but to give the audience an understanding about what your relationship was like with your father, can we unpack and talk about that now? Because that had obviously a major impact on your relationships that you had and you talk about in the book, you know, your two marriages and then how it all started out great and the first one wasn't really ideal and we shouldn't have gone there at all. Um, And just the lack of care, the lack of care and support from your parents. But so, like, I could see there was, um, you really missed your mother, especially through her illness. But I, there was also a sense of she wasn't really supportive either. So how did you yeah. find that empathy to then really need her love and care once she was gone, I guess, or even through the illness? You know, it's it's not easy. I mean, I have, have times, I have periods in my life where I really... First of all, I guess the most important thing is seeing your life how it actually is. And for years, you know, I can't, you, I think as kids, we idealize our parents in the situation we're in. And we think that sort of is just the way it is. We don't know any different. Mm. And as I got older and my mother like had zero interest in, you know, shopping for prom dresses or helping with the wedding or I mean, none of the things that being mother-daughter, those relationships, she had zero interest in any of that with me. Mm. I started to realize as I watched my friends get that attention and have those relationships with their moms that I was missing out. Mm. And when I, and I, I kind of intuitively knew that, but when I had that relationship with my second husband's mother and she was the mother that I never really had. She showed up for me and we shared all those experiences together and Mm. she would buy, we had the same taste in clothes. We read the same book. She loved to travel. She would actually take me sometimes in advance because we just enjoyed each other's company so much. And so I had some alone time with her and it was then that I really came to understand what it was like to have a mother like that. So when I lost her, that loss was so acute for me because it was like, I finally had some of that motherly love and then she died so suddenly and then that was it. And so I think, I, I, I think part of it is too, you have a choice to make in life with all of these things. So you can be bitter about it and just be in that space. Or as I kind of went through this healing journey, I started to have compassion for my mom because I realized her mother was a complete nightmare Mm. And she basically married her mother. Welcome to this short ad break. You know, sometimes it's easy to get stuck into a mental rut where we let ourselves go, but deep down, we're unhappy. We might even be post breakup and feeling a little bit lost. Start feeling confident, self assured, and healthy again. So you can attract the best kind of lovers, friendships, and even career into your life today. You can apply for online coaching with me where I will take you through a hybrid fitness system that covers the three pillars to success, where I take you through the deep work of mindset principles and help you achieve breakthroughs, guide you to understand meal preparation for your goals and a custom weight training program to help you build a healthy physique, one that you can be proud of. Find the application link in the show notes of this episode below. Back to the show. She had, and he took her away from her family and friends. She had no support. Mm. And so I had compassion for her. I was like, wow, she didn't have anyone there to support her. Yeah 
when she was having to deal with my father. So I, I reached that place. And yeah, okay, that makes a lot of sense then. Um, so tell us about your father. Like, give us a whole synopsis of what your father was like growing up. So my father had polio when he was a young child, and that helps me now to understand some of his behaviors. Um, he is someone who has that, somebody who, he's a malignant narcissist, and with malignant narcissists, they really desperately need attention and secretly are self-loathing, which you would think the opposite because of the way they're so grandiose. But the truth of the matter is his, he's horribly afraid of shame and um, lives in terror of that. And so his whole life was sort of going around um, bumping into people and objects saying, look how great I am, look how important I am. And so while he had achieved tremendous academic success, he was the top of his class at, you know, Pennsylvania, University of Pennsylvania Medical School. He was the chief resident at um, Johns Hopkins, the two best medical schools in the world. And yet he couldn't get a high caliber job. And it came down to those interpersonal skills and him running into trouble, getting into trouble with his interactions with people. I mean, we, he had a secretary that he had that disappeared on us. We don't really know where she went yep. or what really happened there. And that was back in the day when nobody really talked about those things. So I, to this day, I have no idea. Like, we can speculate, but I, I don't know what happened other than What do you no think happened? There. What do you reckon happened? I think that he did something inappropriate. Um, I don't know if there was a relationship that happened or if he just was inappropriate with her because he had, he has a way of really getting in your space and acting inappropriate. Is he and charming? So, Is he ch naturally charming? He can be. Hmm. So, uh, there are people that really gravitate to him, which is how he has a home church and has sort of a following. Mm. But the reality is, is he is like, uh, I say he's a, after my mom passed, he was a parasite looking for a new host. What he likes to do is, it's true. It's a good way of putting it. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, yeah. he likes to, he will walk up to you and immediately start asking you questions like, are you a Christian? Where did you go to church? What are your beliefs? Like you literally, you just met the guy and he wants to, like, he goes there. Wow. He gets in your, he gets in your business. He starts telling you how to live your life. And for some people who really are desperate for guidance or leadership, they succumb to that. Yeah. And he can, and he can be quite charming, mm. but it's, it is so destructive and devastating, you know, his behavior. Wow. Fascinating. And then, <clears throat> so we saw the way that he, oh, look, the way he spoke to your mom, the way he treated you, what was his relationship like with your two other siblings? So you've got a brother and a sister? Yes. Yeah. I'm so the baby. You're the baby. Okay. So who's middle and who's oldest? So my brother in the Christian world was the perfect firstborn male child. Mm. So he was sort of like the recipient of everything. And then my sister was the firstborn female child and she was greatly favored over me um, because of her, really because of her um, athletic prowess. And she was 
very dramatic and got a lot of attention. And she was also quite charming. And so she definitely, between the two of them, they got the attention and I was sort of delegated to um, leftovers. It's usually the middle child that cops. I know. The Malcolm in the middle kind of behavior. It sounds like you were kind right. of the Malcolm in the middle. The baby is usually the one that cops, you know, all that gets all yeah. that love and attention and can't do no wrong. So that's really interesting to hear that that happened. Um, we'll sort of fast forward and then we'll come back into the story. How is your, how is your relationship, how is the relationship between your brother, the sister and the father now and what was it like for them growing up? Well, so he created this dynamic. It was very twisted where he compared all of us, particularly me to my sister, but he created a dynamic where my sister and myself and my mother were all competing for his attention. It was a very sick, twisted dynamic. Mm. I mean, he, he, for instance, there was a brief period in my life where I was sort of the center of attention when I was like seven or eight years old. And at that point in time, we were remodeling our house and he let me pick out the wallpaper for their master bedroom and bathroom. My mother was just all up in arms about this. Like, how dare you let my child pick the wallpaper for our bedroom and bathroom? And he did, he had this way of saying, well, Carrie has better taste than you. She's got a natural knack for decorating. Funny, my sister's now an interior decorator. But <laughs> but he would he would play these games. Mm. And so there was constant competition and someone in the family was always the black sheep. And the person who was the black sheep, everybody else would gang up on. And so right now I'm the black sheep and I'm happy to hold that place right now because I'm the outcast and I am good with that. But yeah. understanding that, I know that they talk shit about me and my children, which is the stuff that I've heard about what they've said about me and my children is truly horrific. Mm. And that a grandparent would say that about their own grandchild is really horrible. I won't repeat it because I don't want it ever get back to my kids. But the stuff that he says just to drive a wedge is horrible. And that's now, like till Mm -hmm. today. Mm -hmm. Till today. Okay. Yes. Um, so what was your relationship like with your siblings growing up as kids? Because, I mean, narcissists are really bad for that. They, for them it's a game. It's like entertainment. And they're like, all right, well, who's my flavour of the month this month? And then how can I pin everyone else up against them? Or who can I ostracise this month? And it's like, you're that sick and twisted and bored and God knows what else you've got going on inside of your head. But it's just yeah. not normal. It's not normal no, to it's do not. that at all. Well, so we we had this whole dynamic over Christmas where, you know, one year we'd have a Christmas tree and the next year we wouldn't. And my sister said to my father, she was off at college in California, and she said, if you don't have a Christmas tree, I'm not coming home. And so she learned to manipulate him back and what she would play these games with him. I never succeeded at that. Although I do tell a great story in the book about where he disabled the television set because he had decided it was evil because he wanted to control our television watching. And I pulled the TV out and realized that he just, he pulled out some circuits and I reconnected them and he came back from a trip to Costco and he's like, what in the world? And I was like, the Holy Spirit fixed the TV. I I can't explain it. (laughs) It was like, I, I, he couldn't 
Did he, he couldn't it? argue with that. Well, he couldn't argue with it because then he'd have to say, he'd have to admit that he had disabled the TV. It wasn't broken. Yeah. Right. And yeah. he was never going to admit to that. So he, he was kind of like, uh, and he, and he didn't believe for a second that I could figure it out. So. And he wasn't going to argue the fact that the Holy Spirit didn't fix it. Cause I mean, then he'd be going against his own beliefs. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. Was, uh, that was, yeah. I did have that moment of fun with him. That's classic. <laughs> that is classic. All right. So what was some of, so we'll talk about some of the darker moments growing up. Um, you know, where you felt like you should have been supported and then... Oh, geez. Well, talk about that moment in church as a child where you went yeah. to church and you're busting to go toilet and then basically how yeah. your parents and then your siblings reacted to that. I was horrified yeah. when I heard that. I was just like, you got that, it, you me. And me. That yeah. is one of the most compelling stories in the book, in my opinion. I mean, yeah. um, it, it's funny. Brene Brown has a chapter in one of her books where she calls it holy shit. And it's about her finding some some dog poop outside the church and picking it up and throwing it away or something like that. I'm like, no, this no, this is a holy shit chapter <laughs> because yeah. literally I'm in I am in church and I am wearing my red velvet floor length um, flower girl dress from my aunt Helen's wedding. I put it on because it was a January day. It was around Christmas, January, mm. and it was really cold. And so and my stomach was rumbling and it hurt and I just wanted something comfy and we were not allowed to talk or make noise or anything in church. And so I was trying to get my mom's attention and say, mom, my stomach is killing me. And I told her, you know, I had, I had, you know, pains and she's like, well, just try making little toots. So I did what I was told. I let out some little toots and now, of course, as an adult, I look back and I, I have to laugh because I'm like, I feel so bad for the people sitting behind me. Jeez, <laughs> I can only imagine. So at least she like. let you, at least she let you fart. I mean, got to give her that. <laughs> oh, geez. So when, when church lets out, I run to the bathroom and the inside of this, you know, long dress is coated in shit. And if you've ever had velvet that's been wet, you know how heavy it is. Mm. I mean, this dress, it was like I, walking. It was like I, I was a slug. Just wow. ripping shit along the like floor. It's like diarrhea. You, you oh, had... I did. Terrible diarrhea. Wow. Terrible. What did you have? Did you have and gastro so I, or something? Well, it, it, ironically, I mean, you know, I had some sort of bug then, but I end up years later having to have most of my colon removed. And I really do correlate those two experiences because I was told when and how I could go to the bathroom and I learned to completely numb that feeling and mm. shut it down. And I just stopped going to the bathroom altogether. But so that was sort of a result of this. Right. right, um, right but right. in this experience, yeah, there was diarrhea everywhere. I had to, you know, I'm a little girl, I'm in there by myself. I throw my panties away. I throw my little bobby socks away and I get out. I finally, nobody comes looking for me. I finally go find my mom and dad and they're standing in a circle talking to people. And I, you know, kind of go up and I tug on my mom's skirt and she's like, don't interrupt. <laughs> then she smells me yeah. and it's like, go wait in the car. And my brother and sister wouldn't let me in the car because I smelled so bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, and the whole thing, it was, it was all about her catering to my father 
And mm. even when they got me home, she left me in a tub to clean myself off while she went to make him lunch. And so it's, it's just yeah. so hard to hear that. Like, I just, so it's just like next level abuse and neglect. Like, and that shit will scar you for years. Like, have you, have you had much therapy over the years with everything that happened? Yes, substantial. I mean, yeah. maybe not soon enough because, like I said, yeah. I, I do correlate that issue with my colon to yeah. those experiences. But, yeah. um, but yes, I mean, I when I was married to my second husband, I spent a year on the couch doing psychoanal- psychoanalysis. So for five days a week for a year, I you know talked to somebody for an hour and really worked on deprogramming all of the negative messages that I had they became like a tape in your head where mm. something says something, you immediately go back there and you start reliving that experience. And yeah. yeah. So was your dad ever nice to you? Your mum and dad were there like, besides where you had that spotlight for a brief moment to decorate the house where that would have created so much jealousy between you and your mum. So that was really oh, yeah. a bad way to go. Um, but was there any other moments where you felt like, Oh, like, it's not so bad. It's not so bad here. Like, could you pinpoint years in your life? Um, I wouldn't say that he was nice. Let's say what nice means to me. Um, mm. Nice means to me being ignored. So as I got older or there were other things distracting him, I got left alone. Mm. And that equaled happiness for me. So mm. it wasn't a matter of getting attention. Attention usually was negative or it was mm. sort of like, Meets expectations. Oh, you got straight A's. Meets expectations. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so uh, yeah, it was. It was mostly I equated being ignored with that was through the better times. Yeah. Wow. And what were some of the horrible things your father and maybe your mother like? What, what were some of the things that you needed to go to therapy for? Like. When he started to compare you and your sister, he started to he started yeah. to make comments about your looks um, yeah. and comparisons. But it, you know, if you could pick sort of five five moments in life where that were really profound, where he was quite negative towards you, what would those moments be? Well, the probably I mean the the first time that I might talk about light switch moments where it just I'm like, okay, something literally changes. And one of those was when I was in law school, um, I was in the hospital. I had all this, I had all this fluid coming out of my ear and, you know, they, they strapped me to this x-ray machine. They injected my, my spine with contrast dye. They tilted the x-ray machine upside down to see if the contrast dye would come out my ear. Cause they're trying to figure out the source of all this fluid and in the course of that procedure, they hit my spinal cord. And so I ended up being hospitalized for five days, getting shot up with Demerol. And I mean, the pain, oh my God, was horrible. And so I, the guy I, I was dating and later, later married, um, I asked him to call my dad because I thought, well, maybe my dad being a physician, that he could talk to the other doctors and figure out what was going on. Mm. And so he called my father and he handed me the phone and I pressed it to my good ear because one was not in good shape. And my father said to me, your mother and I have been talking and we just want to let you know that 
we're not paying for this. <laughs> and then he was gone. I'm like, so wait, 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 let me get this right. No get well soon, no flowers, no card, mm. no visiting me in the hospital like the Bible commands you to do. None of that. <laughs> oh my no, gosh. no talking to the doctors. All yeah, I got nothing. was, we're not going to pay for this. It was like, to me, in that moment, the my abandonment was complete. Yeah. I've never felt so alone. And like, it was like, it was like, I was something to be taken out to the trash. It's like, we're done with you. We're not going to pay for this. You're on your own. I mean, when I was at the, I, it was, it was the, my third year of law school during finals mm. and I'm in the hospital mm. and that's what I get. Yeah. So that was one of those moments. Yep. Um, one, yep. of the, one of the other moments was when he, when he choked my son. Um, uh, one of the, I guess the other sort of really pivotal moments for my childhood is when he beat the dog with a two by four until it broke that. in half. Yeah. I remember yeah. That. that is one of those memories. It's like, it's steered in my memory watching that. I mean, did the, just, dog, did the dog leave for much longer after that? The dog did, but was shortly thereafter taken to a farm. Yeah. For whatever that means, whether that, you know, happened or if the dog was euthanized, I don't know. But right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Oh God, so heavy. Um, and when he used to compare you with your sister and your looks and stuff like that, um, cause you're not unattractive by any means. Like, and I don't know if you looked different growing up or, or what have you, do you and your sister have any similarities in your looks? We do. We look a lot alike actually. Yeah. <laughs> and so he, he basically made you look like or feel like the ugly duckling and your sister was yeah and he actually got the whole he got the whole entire family to tee up in that like she uh, everyone kind of viewed her as being like the golden child that she was prettier she was better she was more athletic she was smarter that was to the to this day i reached out to an uncle about the book to ask him some questions and he's like great to hear from you how's tiffany Mm. I hear yeah. she's doing great. I hear she I hear she's killing it. Mm. Seriously? What yeah. am I, chop liver? Yeah, I, I can totally relate to that growing up. You know, it was very much about my sister growing up, even though, and, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder because I'm very modest, but everyone would say you're definitely the best-looking child in the family. Um, but growing up, I think... I went through a phase of just really trying to figure out who I was and understanding and defining true beauty and really coming into my feminine and stuff like that. And being gay, you go through different phases of how you look. So she was always more feminine and stuff like that. But as I came into my full confidence and stuff, I really blossomed and that's where people are like, oh, wow, you know. But for the first sort of, I don't know, 20 odd years of my life it was all about her it's all about her um yeah yeah and it wasn't until I sort of went on tv that none of them agreed with it and especially her and um she's like well have you asked what we wanted and it's like well are you just paranoid that the attention's no longer going to be on you do you know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway, I, long story yes. short I no longer talk to um my whole immediate family for issues I had 
experienced abuse with my father, domestic violence, so I had to walk away from the family. But um, I know exactly what that feels like and it's horrible and you're like, why, why would you... Why would you single out your children? Yeah. Why do parents, why do you think parents do that? I don't know. I mean, I think it's some sickness in themselves. Um, like for him, I know a lot of it was a game, it was manipulation. Yeah. But I, I mean, I know that for my kids, I have two boys who are 20 months apart and yeah. have always been close in size and look a lot alike. I'm like, so you kind of relive that experience. And I've been hypersensitive to helping them each chart their own course yeah. so that they're not getting compared because mm. I want them to each have their own identity that's secure. And they know that they are valued as they are on their own. And it's not about being better than the other one. Yeah. And I think I finally developed that identity when I stepped away and kind of started doing my own thing. Mm. And that's what it takes. But yeah. And would you agree that you just can't parent you, your children the same? You've got to look at their individual personality and 100%. make adjustments. Yeah. 100%. Mm. Yeah. Um, so sort of fast forwarding now, um, what kind of relationship do you have? Oh, we'll talk about your mum actually. So your mum went through her illness and then it's almost like the dynamics kind of changed. Then you started to really see your father for what he was about. Tell us, take us down that journey for a moment. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I was reflecting on that this, um, this weekend. I can't, I'm not sure why the whole Alzheimer's thing came to the forefront, but I was thinking about my mom and she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's um, right around the time my first son was born So that would have been, he was born in 2003. So, uh, and then she was, she ended up passing away just before, it was the end of 2012, so just before 2013. So it was about 10 years later that she passed away. Um, And so I started thinking back and going, when did she really start exhibiting symptoms of that disease? And as I look back, I really believe that as far back as 10 years before that, so in 1993, so when I was graduating from law school, there there were already starting to be symptoms. Because when I got married to my first husband, she had some very bizarre things that she did that I was super angry about. But now I look back and I'm like, I just don't think she was all there. Mm, 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 and that's helped mm. me to have compassion for her. Cause I'm like, I, it, she just was kind of absent, kind of vacant. I was like, I would be like, mom, like, why don't you get the fact that she forgot to pick up the flowers for my cake. So I had a cake that was all white with nothing on it. Mm. It's like, why don't you get why this is important to me? And she just didn't even register with her. Yeah. 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 How old was she when she started to, when you think she started to sort of, um, get the early onset of Alzheimer's and then how old was she when she passed away? Well, so that's why this, I think this is sort of hitting home. I'm 54. And as I started thinking about this, she would have been 53. Mm. So I'm like, huh. Um, and she was diagnosed when she was 63 and she passed when she was 73. Yeah. Right. But that's a 20 year time horizon. Yeah. It's a long time. Mm -hmm. A long time. 
And um, how is your father behaving in that whole process when she was at her worst? He always treated my mom sort of like she was a dog. Mm. He never really saw her to the point that when she would be talking about things, like he could care less what her hair looked like. He could care less how she was dressed. He didn't care. He just wanted her there next to his side. Mm. And so in order to get attention, one of the things that she would do is she would talk about all of her bodily functions because she had so much given up herself that all she had left of her identity was literally what she was feeling in her body. Mm. And so Mm. she was always talking about like if she had cramps or she had her period or if she had middle schmerz or she had a migraine or it was also because he was a doctor. She was trying to get attention from him. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, towards the end, I mean, he took her all over the world, but he wouldn't think he would tell her, you need to shampoo yourself or you need to brush your teeth, but he wouldn't watch her do it. And Mm -hmm. so by the time we got to my sister's wedding, she was like a homeless person. I went to get her. He dropped her off in my room to get her ready for the wedding. I had no idea what I was in for. We get her undressed and she has hair under her arms that is probably like four or five inches long. You're kidding. I mean, she looked like a homeless person. I'm not exaggerating. Hair all over her legs. Um, Her teeth had all kinds of food caught in them. They were black in the back. Did your dad look after himself? Was he well dressed? Yes. Dad? So yeah, how, yeah, he takes uh, care of himself. No idea how he, because um, the the picture I get is, you know, a clean cut male who, you know, on the outside takes pride and would never allow for anything kind of less than that. And especially like you guys come from money, right? Like you're not, you know, you weren't right. well. Yeah. So um, I guess where was most of that wealth? founded is that kind of generational or was did he have a business mum and dad have a business like what what's to go there so my um great great grandfather founded international paper company Mm. which is the largest paper company in the world Mm. and he was the person who brought the technology for making paper out of wood chips or wood pulp as opposed to paper um to the united states from germany so they started with that and then on both sides of the family there's um you know they founded banks they uh uh, were on boards of directors of major companies i mean Mm. there was just an incredible amount of wealth but somewhere along the way there were some missteps and my grandmother lived that life i mean she lived in this multiple mansions she went to finishing school in switzerland Mm. Uh, had her debut at the Ritz Carlton in New York, but somehow that wealth did not pass on, but the expectations and the societal, the societal athletic academic expectations endured. And so it was very important that we be members of the right clubs, go to the right schools, um, be, you know, to have certain athletic and academic achievements and that's all she cared about. And so, but the money there to make those things happen mm. really wasn't so much there anymore. Different parts of the family had some. My dad was a doctor, so mm, mm. he made enough, but it was nothing like, I mean, 
this there that our family at that level was like a uh i don't know it was the equivalent of the top one percent today i mean yeah. so yeah, yeah yeah and your mom so what did your mom do for herself did she work so she mostly was a stay-at-home mom yeah. um she got a degree in um art history from vassar yeah where she actually worked on, uh, she took acting there with Jane Fonda. So oh, how <laughs> That was one of her claims to fame, yeah. <laughs> um, but she never used, art, art history was a um, MRS degree, and she actually went to work at the University of Pennsylvania Medical School immediately yeah. upon graduation because she had the stated objective of marrying a doctor. I mean, she was like, I'm going to marry a doctor. Mm. And that was her, her long-term plan. The problem was she married the wrong one. She married someone who had all these personality deficits where it caused him to, you know, lose jobs, run into problems, mm. um, and never be able to manage money. And so she was always sort of in crisis over all kinds of things, you know, losing her, being moved away from her family and friends, but also an identity crisis of not living up to what she was expected to by her family, by marrying the wrong man. Yeah. So were both families quite wealthy, mother and yes. mum and dad? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask you an off-kilter question now. Are you quite spiritual? Yes. Did you see psychics after your mum had passed to try and connect with her? And I'm be curious to know if your mum expressed any honesty about how she felt with her whole marriage and any regret because they say that once you pass, any burden, stress, all of that goes and there's nothing but forgiveness there. Did she have any regrets to how her relationship was with you? Did you? Did any of that come about through I psychic have, readings? I have, I have not seen a psychic, but okay. I, do, I do feel those things. Yeah. I feel, I mean, I feel like she's with me and, mm. I mean, I, I hear from her about regrets that she has. Um, and I mean, that may be just me comforting myself, but yeah. you know, that's what I've taken away from that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen any little animal totems sort of come to the door or the window or anything like that where you think, oh yeah, like it feels like a visitation. You know, I've heard about that, but yeah, I have not. Yeah. I mean, there is something that her favorite thing was the African violet Every time I see an African violet, I think of her. So Yeah, okay. All right, awesome. We'll move on. Um, now, your brother and sister, so I guess where are they at? I mean, where are you living now? So where did you grow up? Where are you living now? Where are they? Like, yeah. Let's do a where are so, they now segment. <laughs> sure, sure. So um, so I was born in Philadelphia. This book begins really in um, outside the Baltimore area in Eastern Maryland. And then we take this train trip across the country mm. and end up settling in Everett, Washington, which is a city about 30 minutes north of Seattle. Mm. And it's really a industrial seaside town in that. I mean, it's beautiful views of the water and all of that, but it's where the Boeing plant is. There's a Navy yard there. Um, there are paper mills and it's a much, it's an industrial seaside town. It's not as picturesque as maybe you think. And so that's where we moved to, and that's where I primarily grew up. Um, upon graduation from high school, I went to Washington State University in eastern Washington, 
and I was there for two years, and then I transferred to the University of Texas at Austin, and then um, after graduation, I went to Tulane Law School, which is in New Orleans, Louisiana, and then after I graduated from law school, I moved back to Austin, which is where I've lived ever since, Mm -hmm. and my sister um, has primarily lived in California, um, she currently lives in Orange County, California, where she owns a store called Tiffany Hunter Home. She's now an interior designer. And uh, my brother does supply chain work uh, and has worked for all kinds of companies around the world and is currently working for Intel in Arizona. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, because oh, I'm not sure how far apart, how far are you from your brother and sister? Are you states apart? My sister, I mean, California and Texas, I mean, Texas is sort of the middle of the U.S. and California is on the Western coast. So, you know, it's a couple hours by plane. I yep. see my sister a fair amount though. Yep. Um, I've really tried to foster that relationship. Mm. And so I really make an effort on that. My brother, um, you know, we don't have any, never had any harsh words or anything. He just doesn't make an effort. And so he's yeah. kind of not responsive. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you've got a good relationship with your sister now? Yes. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. But you sort of mentioned something, you mentioned something earlier about how they 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 talk crap about you. Is it your father? That they do. They My do. father primarily, but yeah. yeah. So even though, so your sister does talk shit about you and the kids and you still foster, you try and keep a relationship with her. Well, I don't know what happens, right? I'm not there, but she mm. relays what he's saying. I'm not naive. I mean, to think that she's completely neutral on that, Mm. but I have to make a decision about, I mean, I have basically no family. And so it's like, how important is this relationship with my sister? And Mm. so I choose, you know, with certain people, you have to choose to look past things. And I, I choose that relationship over any of that, you know, drama on the sideline so yeah fair enough no if you can do that I mean absolutely there's obviously parts of the relationship which are still healthy and nothing's perfect no family's perfect there's always going to be bullshit and drama and politics and if you can maintain some sort of a friendship great sometimes there are moments where you're just like no I can't do this like it's just not healthy at all and that's when you walk away and um we'll talk about your husband's in a moment and then we'll kind of wrap it up but I just want to sort of finish off with what happened with your father that you no longer talk to him well after he chucked my son um and then my mom passed away I went and (laughs) I went to the funeral my mother's funeral and It was like something out of a sci-fi movie, this funeral. It was like an alternate reality. These people would get up and talk about my mother and their perception of her was so far from what our experience with her was Mm. that we we were just like sitting there going, what are you talking about? Who is this woman? Mm. And a funny story from the, from the, uh, from the funeral, my brother gets up and the first thing he says is, my mother, she was a terrible cook. Yeah. <laughs> and she was, she was, I mean, she should win an award for how bad a cook she was. Mm. Um, and immediately this woman interrupts him and like 
gets up there and says, you shouldn't say that about your mother. She wasn't a terrible cook. I had lunch with her one time and she cooked me a frozen pizza. <laughs> what a way to break the ice. <laughs> and I was, I, we couldn't help. I'm like, well, you know, we rest our case, that frozen pizza, you know, I mean, yeah. So, yeah. She's outdone herself. Yeah. She's outdone herself, right. Obviously, she just wanted to lighten the the mood in the room, (laughs) given the circumstances, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, No, 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 no. She was completely serious. Really? Yes. Now, she was not trying to lighten the mood. Oh. No. This is what I'm talking about, about it being an alternate reality. She was dead serious. She was taking my brother to task at my mother's funeral. She was berating him, and her defense of that was that my mother had cooked her a frozen pizza. <laughs> That's where I'm like, reality is not is this registering here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Did anything so, else, like what else was said about your mom that you think, oh, so not true, that wasn't her? Well, I, I don't know that, that this was so much of a, that it wasn't true, but this woman got up there and talked about how my mother had counseled her in her marriage and about being submissive to her husband and how much she appreciated my mom for that and how much it had helped their relationship. And I could see from the woman's body language that this woman was a battered woman. Mm. And the interaction with her husband, and it, I regret it to this day that I did not stand up because it was my mother's funeral and say, she's full of shit. I mean... I saw that and I was like, my mother was like a battered woman. Yeah, and that's yeah. how she operated. She didn't have an identity. She barely existed. And mm. you thought that was like a great plan. So, yeah. So it was after that we went to dinner and my father started talking about his new business venture where he was going to be working as the medical director of some biotech mm. and you know, being a lawyer, my alarm bells started going off listening to what he was talking about. And so after the funeral, I called him and said, Hey dad, can you tell me some more about this thing you've invested in? First of all, how much money did you put in? He said, a hundred thousand dollars. And I said, well, how much did the founders put in? And he said, Oh, their money's all tied up in their oil investments in Ukraine. Mm. They put zero in. So I'm like, I'm sorry, what? So I got him to give me the names and my sister and I said about Googling and very quickly discovered that one of the founders um, was wanted by the Canadian police for tax Um, fraud. And he'd just been arrested in the UK to be extradited Mm. to Canada. Mm. And the other couple, there were literally like 20 lawsuits filed against them in that county. And so I reached out to the attorney and said, you know, give me the skinny and put my father in touch with her and and he lied to me about it and said that you know he'd gotten his money back which she said nobody got their money back yeah um and it was at that moment I'm like what am I doing why am I giving all this energy to this man who has zero respect for me and yeah just I I just was like you know what I'm done I just I don't know why that was it but my mom was gone there was no relationship with my kids. I'm like, what am I doing? Yeah, what are you holding on to? Yeah, he's yeah. just there was no integrity there from the get go. 
So yeah. just know, I mean, a typical narcissist is they are not who they portray themselves to be. They're very much yeah. an empty an empty vessel as loud as a rattling can. Look at me, look at me, yes. everyone. And they've yes. got nothing to offer. Yes. There's just yes. nothing. It's like grabbing a bottle, emptying out all the water. On the outside it looks nice and you take a drink and there's nothing there. Nothing there, like, yeah. You know, and the thing is, is they they throw a line, they reel you in, they... You know, and they keep doing that. And it's just this never-ending cycle of at some point you realise, you go, there's just nothing there, nothing there. No matter what story or performance you do, you're just an actor in your own movie. You're not even a real person. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, I really feel for you, but I'm glad that you found the strength to walk away from that really toxic relationship. You've had, um, you've been in two, obviously, you've been in two marriages, which you're now divorced from. What was the difference between the two? So the first one was a bit of a disaster from the, you know, from the onset. Yeah. Yeah. And then the second I mean, one. I, yeah. I joke about the first one because it is comical. I mean, literally I'm drugged up from the hospital mm. and he takes me to the justice of the peace. I, all I remember is some wood paneled walls and some cheap carpet I don't remember anything of what happened there, but we got married at the Justice of the Peace. Oh, wow. So is this the yeah. one where you had the issues with the spine and you called your father and he yes. didn't want to give you a dime yes. for that? Yes. <laughs> Takes you out of hospital, marries you, and locks you down. Yeah. He saw me as his golden ticket because I was graduating from law school mm. and he was a bar manager on Bourbon Street. So he mm. thought, okay, this is my golden ticket. And <laughs> yeah, that went south really quickly. Um my second husband, he was everything that my first one wasn't in that he came from a good family. He um, had good manners. He had a job, a career, was, you know, all of that. Mm. Um, and I then after meeting his mother, that was sort of like the done deal. Like I fell in love with his mother. She mm. was so wonderful to me. And mm-hmm. it, was, it was good at first. Um, but I think sometimes even... First of all, there were lots of things lurking in the background that I didn't see because I didn't mm. see my patterns yet. Mm. He's very sarcastic and cutting. Mm. He never paid me compliments like my father. Instead, mm. he would always make sarcastic digs like my father, and I didn't pick up on these things. And after being with him for 13 years without a single compliment, the well was dry. I had nothing left to give. I mean, I'm like, I got nothing here. I mean, you just feel desolate and after we all that we went through there was so much for for the listener I mean so much happened his father died his mother died uh, nine days after my son was born then we find Mm. out that his stepfather has run away with the money I mean it was just one thing after another he loses Mm. his job I mean Mm -hmm. it just there's as much as you are clinging and trying to hold something together Mm. If your other, if the other person doesn't have the tools to step up, mm. then it's just, it's just, there's just, it's a lost cause. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah, yeah. it reached, a, it reached a place where for the, the sanity and health of the entire family, mm. we needed to get divorced. I truly got to the place where I believe that the best, best thing for him and for us was going to be to get divorced. And I still believe that to be true. And obviously he's still in your life because of the kids, because you had two kids with him. Yeah. Is he, do you guys have any connection, like any um, communication outside of the kids? 
Well, yeah. In fact, my son graduated from high school on Monday night and yeah. yesterday. Yeah. And Congratulations. Um, we went, yes, thank you. We went to the graduation together. Yeah. And I feel like we've done a great job co-parenting. And so yeah, I really, I am protective of that relationship because mm. it's so important for my kids who have like zero family mm. that they have a great relationship with their father. Mm. And so understanding that I made a lot of choices that a lot of women wouldn't make because mm. I wanted to give them that relationship. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and are you seeing anyone now? So where's your, no, where's... Oh, I am totally eligible and single. Yeah. So, and I'm ready to mingle. So <laughs> <laughs> you still enjoy going out and being social. I do. I feel yeah. like I'm, um, kind of like a 39-year-old trapped in a 54-year-old's body. Yeah. Um, although I don't think my body. You don't look 50. Are you 53 or 54? I'm 54. Yeah. Oh, 54. I don't feel like okay. I. Yeah. Yeah. I don't feel like I look my age. I don't act my age. I have a real youthful energy. And so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm noticing that a lot about 50-year-olds these days. They're looking really good. So. <laughs> and I think it's because they're coming into you know, the next generation was more exposed to Botox and fillers. So, you know, they're aging a lot better than what yes. like, our grandparents and stuff did where they looked older. Um, all right. Absolutely. Look, I think we could keep talking for another hour, but there's a lot more of the story in the book, which is where people need to go to and have a listen. It is on Audible. So I have a li- had a listen to yes. that. It's about six hours long, really, really easy and very relatable. Like I actually got really upset listening to some of those things and I'm like, why is this happening to her? Why? You know, but at the end of the book, there's a sense of hope and a really strong message there. So I think it's empowering that, you know, all women have a listen to that, which I'll link that in the show notes below. Um, Carrie, Thank outside you. of everything that's sort of happened and your work and stuff, like what do you just enjoy doing for fun? Oh, wow. Um, I love to travel a mm. ton. I mean, so I've got some big trips coming up. Um yeah. And love spending time with friends. Um, I love to read. Um, I love to exercise. That's super mm-hmm. important. Yep. And um, I don't know, I probably spend too much time shopping, but. <laughs> Every girl's not, favorite pastime. <laughs> I'm not a possessions person, but yep. um, but I have a, I, there are two things I have a hard time turning down. Um, a good book and a great looking shoe. So. Yeah. yeah, favorite brand shoe. Oh, um, probably lately, mostly I've been buying Jimmy Choo. Jimmy Choo, yeah. So, yeah. Nice choice, nice choice. All right, cool. I think we'll leave it there. Like I said, there's so much more that we could talk about, but you cover a lot of that in the book. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Guys, make sure that you're giving us a follow or subscribe, depending on what platform you're listening on. Feel free to take a screenshot of this episode, share it on your socials and tag myself. Karen, do you have uh, Instagram? Yes. So my Instagram is is at Carrington ATX, which stands for Austin, Texas. And um, all my other social is at Carrington ATX. Of course, Carrington's spelled with a C. Um, And then my personal website is Carrington-Smith.com. And of course, you can get the book on Amazon or get it on Audible. I'll have all of that below anyway, so you guys can check that out. But yeah, thanks again. We'll talk to you soon.